My name's Cutter Calloway, and I'm Assistant Professor of Theology and Culture at Fuller Theological Seminary. Welcome to Fuller Studio. Welcome to TV and Theology, an audio series in which we construct a theology of television to help viewers more fully engage with the power and meaning of TV. This season, I talk with TV writer and my co-author, Dean Batali. Welcome back to episode number five of our Theology and TV conversation. Uh, we are your hosts. I'm Cutter Calloway. I'm Dean Batali. And uh, thanks for joining us once again. We are going to talk today about... Um, specifically the church and how it interacts and engages with um, really our convergence culture. We, we talked a, a bit last time about how things are changing pretty radically uh, in the TV landscape and really the media landscape. Uh, TV is, there's, there's more and more TV made now, TV programming than ever before, in part because there are more distribution channels, there are more uh, ways to watch, um, and in a sense, there are more people watching, even though, as we, we talked a bit uh, uh, at length last time, that each show itself has a smaller audience, but a deeply passionate audience. Um, at the this last year's Golden Globes, uh, Amazon Prime actually uh, kind of swept the, <laughs> the categories, them and Netflix. I don't um, think any network, I, I don't think uh, any main network, ABC, NBC, CBS, or Fox won any Golden any Golden Globe any, for TV. any of the main shows. Now yeah. some did for act for some of the actor and actresses positions, but yeah, it's I mean it's a fascinating sort of turning point um, in TV history. And actually, I think ABC, NBC, and CBS were shut out. That's it because uh-huh. CW won something for Jane okay. the Virgin, and Fox might have won something. Anyway, it was an intriguing moment in time. Yeah, it it's, like, I mean, and causing some great consternation, others a uh, great celebration. What I heard is uh, what is it? Bezos, the guy that owns Amazon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, now that they were successful with their first, uh, you know, pr- premiere series, um, they've got so much money that they are going to basically buy out the market is their plan that um, Netflix, who's had uh, House of Cards, Orange is the New Black, a few really successful series. Um, the good of this is that people in the industry are going to start making a lot more money for their shows. The bad is um, as Amazon is wont to do, is about to obliterate right. <laughs> all the competition. They want to so, make movies now, too. Exactly. So um, it'll be interesting to see how things uh, move forward. But the bigger point is there's more TV than ever, and there's more ways to watch than ever. Um, we are immersed in a TV world, um, even while recognizing that even the term TV is not even capturing any longer what it once did. We're not talking about the TV set Um alone because few people watch TV on their TV sets. It's on their handheld or on their computer or um, screened on a, you know, high def 4K plasma, you know. Um, And so TV is really just a a metaphor for what all these things are. Um, But we recognize it when we see it. It's it's generally episodic. It's serialized. It's narrative. um, And uh, it, it, it both is and is not uh, what it has inherited uh, from the past. So one of the things we want to talk about is how do we as a church interact with this culture that's kind of going through an upheaval in terms of how stories are told, how they're bought, how they are communicated, how they're distributed. Um, and this is sort of the last episode where we'll talk a little bit about communication. Um, we've thought about it in terms of transmitting a deposit of knowledge. 
We thought about it in terms of how it, it is a ritual, it shapes our desires. Um, and then also we've thought about it in terms of how it's an embodied commitment, how it, how it draws us in and how we participate in it. Um, but I think another way of, of thinking about communication is this notion of communion. And Dean said in our last episode, uh, was talking about how uh, it's really important, and a lot of people forget, that we are drawn towards community, and not just community, but communion, that, that the same Latin word that we get communication from is what we use for both communism and communion, because it's it's coming together, meeting a, another. It's an I-thou relationship, um, interacting in sort of this intersubjective way where we recognize that we are fully ourselves when we're in relationship with other people. Um, and this is a deeply theological uh, reality, and it shapes both how we consider our own community as a church, and it also shapes how we interact with these other communities um, engaged in TV. Um, a really great book, that a history book, uh, is uh, Michelle Rosenthal wrote, um, I think it's American Protestantism in the 1950s and 60s, uh, or, or TV, something like that. Uh, Rosenthal is the last name, but she basically charts the decline of mainline Protestantism and the rise of conservative evangelicalism in terms of how they leverage TV technology. Um, and she said mainliners were concerned about what TV does to the Christian gospel, that, that it's so commodified and it's so about money that it's really hard to effectively do what church does through TV. Evangelicals, on the other hand, um, were basically concerned with the Great Commission. How do we, how do we spread the word? How do we uh, communicate the gospel? Well, TV reaches masses, un, untold masses that have, have heretofore never been reached, um, and we are going to send the gospel to all ends of the earth through this. In some cases, people will speak of it as a divine gift um, that God has given us TV, and thank the Lord because we can communicate with people. But so, what they did, by but the big mistake they made was only preaching the gospel. Exactly. And if they had started at Let's Tell Stories— they could have earned the right to preach the gospel. Yeah, and it's it's a per. I mean, it's an exactly right point because the technology they thought was perfect to communicate the gospel. Those very same people that embrace the technology, we call them televangelists now, right? Um, are the very same people that would say all of this programming, the stuff that you did on that '70s show and everything right. else, is just rubbish and it's it's bringing culture down right. on this you know slippery slope. Yeah. Um. So it's this perfect, weird, inverted example of how Christians have responded often to yeah. a TV world. So as you kind of look over your lifetime and you think about that trajectory, whether, I mean, mainline, evangelical, whatever, yeah. but just how the church has responded um, and 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 what do you think's changed, What, if anything, um, in your lifetime? Well, it's actually, I'm, I'm much more optimistic and I'm generally not optimistic about much of anything. Because <laughs> you're a comedy writer. I guess so. Um, but um, it, it's becoming better because we're having churches engage the culture in a different way. We'll have uh, churches that are doing, you know, there's books written, Bible studies about film and that come out. There need to be more book Bible studies written about television as well. Uh, there are Sunday schools that will look at films around around Oscar season especially, and there need to be ones that, um, that look at television. Um, I've always said that one of the best things any churchgoer can do is buy his or her pastor, a subscription to Entertainment Weekly, so that the leaders of the church know what's going on in, in the culture. You don't have to watch everything, but you got to know who the bands are and what TV shows are popular and what film, uh, what kinds of film are popular. 
And, you know, generally there are all these churches that want to use video clips of film and stuff like that during their sermons. More of them, you know, they overlook television. They overlook the fact that people are still engaging with television. And at a larger level, let's remember that a movie that makes $100 million or, uh, well, let's say a movie that makes $250 million means about 40 million Americans went and saw that movie. Well, that's about as many people as watched last week's episode of Scandal by the time you get past a week and plus DVR viewing. So um, that's really where the conversation should be. And I think people have just kind of looked the other way. Again, it's getting much better because I think there was this myth that um, Christians weren't consuming culture. And there were even denominations that didn't allow their congregants to go to film or to watch television. Well, somehow or another, they still went to film and watch television, whether their church leaders knew it or not. And I think that um, church leaders need to find out what kinds of shows are their congregation watching and maybe even steer them towards those shows. I mean, I talked about earlier in, in a previous episode about why I came to Hollywood is because I wanted to see Christian characters on television. Well, as we do this pod- podcast, there's probably more Christian characters on television today than there have been mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. Now, whether or not they're positive representations or not uh, is a different conversation. But on a show like The Good Wife, a teenager uh, is in a youth group similar with a show like Americans. Even The Simpsons has the neighbor, Ned Flanders, who is a churchgoer. A uh, show like Rectify really gets into deep issues of faith and spirituality. You can look over the history of television shows like MASH. Even Glee has dealt with spirituality and religion. NYPD Blue, of course, which isn't on right now. But there are a lot of characters on the air now um, um, that actually are engaging on a spiritual level in ways that they didn't before. And I think that if church leaders would find those characters and point them out to the congregation, imagine, imagine if... Um, uh, you know, rectifies on Sundance, a channel that hardly anybody even realizes they know exists. But imagine if the church embraced the show, which is a it's, it's a PG-13 R-rated mm-hmm. show, deals mm-hmm. with really tough issues, but they have one of the clearest representations of a person of faith on television I've ever seen. They've had baptisms, they talk about the Bible, they quote mm-hmm. scripture, they show prayer groups, they show people in prayer. Imagine if Sundance started seeing hearing from the church saying, we love this show, give us more shows like this. Mm-hmm the culture would change. Hollywood would go, we need to do another show like this because there's an audience out there. And instead, they're getting protests because of, you know, subject matter for other shows or things they don't agree with. Uh, the church needs to be more aware of what's going on. They have to find the good and praise it rather than just blanket statement statementing what's not good about television. Yeah. Um, it reminds me, uh, your Entertainment Weekly <clears throat> comment that uh, Carl Barth, uh, talks about theology and says the theologian um, needs to have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the yeah, other. Right. <laughs> we can basically replace Entertainment Weekly with yeah, the newspaper, right. and, and that's kind of yeah. your argument that these these things have to be in dialogue, even if you know, even if you want to make the case. And we realize that there are some traditions that that's fine, um, or that's kind of the accepted norm that you don't watch television or you avoid it. Um, but even if that's where you're coming from, and you're not like a, a cinephile or a TV file, yeah. um, everybody else uh, around you is. Your neighbor is immersed in this world. Yeah, and I want to be careful here because I don't, I'm don't. i not one who says you have to consume everything. Yeah. Um, sometimes you do need to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry to say that about babies because I love babies. <laughs> I'm on record as loving babies. But sometimes, you know, may, maybe a piece of art is so rancid or so destructive um, or so pornographic um, or, or that it should not be consumed. I'm not saying you just consume all of culture. I'm saying you kind of be 
specific, you find some people have a different limit of what they can watch in terms of violence, in terms of sexuality, and you need to decide for yourself within your community what it is you can consume. So I understand there's some limitations, but I think we have to be wiser about this and, and, and making sure we understand it. And like I say, just because your neighbor is consuming pornography doesn't mean you should be consuming yeah. pornography. But whether or not you watch Big Bang Theory or Scandal or not, your neighbor probably is. So you should at least have a working knowledge of what's going on there so that you can have a conversation with them. Obviously, Paul spent time in libraries and other places learning about the poets of the day uh, in order to understand them. Now, whether or not he spent, you know, whether or not he binged read these poets or not, I don't know. But he knew what was going on and he was able to quote from them, which got him a hearing when he was yeah. speaking in the public square. Well, and he at least did... Um, in a wise and discerning way, uh, right. he engaged those texts thoughtfully and gave them, let them speak, you know, didn't come at it with a sort of prejudged uh, um, way of saying this is all bad and all wrong. Um, it was, what are these authors saying and and how might I respond uh, thoughtfully? And by the way, there's so many tools on the internet now for television and film, more so for film. There need to be for television where you can go and actually find what is this show saying or film saying. And notice that I start there. I'm suspicious of any website that starts with counting the number of swear words first. Yeah. What I like is the websites that say, here's the worldview that's presented. And now here's some caution in terms of age or in terms of discernment. But that's the problem. The church has gone from here's, the church focuses on here's what's wrong with the culture rather than here's what's valuable in the culture. And let me bring it back to theology. What if God only judges us on what's wrong with us and the bad that we do rather than the potential we have or the thing that we represent that's more closely aligned with him? That's what the church has to embrace about our culture and about television specifically, which they have not done very well. And I know we're kind of we're talking about how television is created a lot, too kind of want to move into one of the other issues is that Christians need to be more present more present where culture mm -hmm. is being made. Yeah. Um, I've worked on shows that have, you know, been criticized for their sexual content and drug use. Um, and my only argument is, well, what would you like Christians to do? Would you rather Christians not be there at, at all? Mm -hmm. I, I tried to push back against some of the behavior, more so the meanness on that 70s show, more yeah. so the interpersonal relationships among the characters than even the sexual content. Our show was consistently rated number one of the, you know, it was number three in terms of negative content by an organization <laughs> that rates things in terms yeah. of the negative content. Well, my only argument to that is if I hadn't been there, we would have been number one, hmm. that the show would have been even worse. Mm -hmm. So we as Christians, I think, are called to go to places and sometimes try to make what is damaging to our culture less damaging. That's that's being salt and light sometimes, yeah. being a preservative, being being something that, that makes something less worse. We need our churches and our colleges to send talented people into the culture to make culture. We also need more executives who understand the Christian worldview, understand the Christian audience. That's one of the biggest uh, separations I see in our culture yeah. right now. It used to be in politics. There were very few people of faith in politics. Mm -hmm. And uh, we can argue whether or not it's a good thing that they've been involved <laughs> at the level they've been involved. But that's what's missing in the culture right now is that there are not studio executives and development executives. There are some, but we need more who understand the audience um, so that they say, yeah, let's put that worldview on television uh, over here. And then we can have this and have more of our actual society represented yeah. on television. Well, and, and part of it, too, then swinging back over to the people in church leadership or, you know, parachurch, mm -hmm. nonprofit, whatever uh, we want to categorize it, is that um, I think part of what hinders potential talented people who are Christians going into industry is that 
they've been given a framework by their church leaders yeah. um, that it is all bad or wrong. Yeah. Um, and you can't reconcile your faith with with your work. Um, and that comes from a more antagonistic and 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 not even always antagonistic, but but a different starting point. And that that is the starting point is um, is with ethics and a preformed uh, sort of theological paradigm uh, by which you judge culture. Whereas at least me and and I would say Dean too, even if he doesn't articulate it exactly the same way, um, come at it more from the aesthetic. So what is inherent in the art? Um, what is quality and valuable on yeah. an artistic level? And then also, how does that um, help shape us? And there is potential for us to learn something from that. It's not just that uh, the church and and people of faith have something to teach and tell the culture, yeah. but reverse, that the culture actually can help shape us and form us in positive ways. Um, I've uh, sort of like the last, we'll get to ethics um, uh, even more in the next episode, but a kind of final thought I've been, I've been playing with this thought, and it's quasi-heretical, so I'm just going to say that right now. Um, and it's also not exactly... Cutter is generally just quasi-heretical. Yeah, we quasi. just have to accept that going and, into the conversation. And Dean just sort of hates babies. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's some t- just the bad ones he'll throw out with the bathwater. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I'm, I'm always on the verge of heresy. Uh, but I've been toying a lot with the uh, story of the Good Samaritan and um, who we usually identify with in that story. And this gets, I get, I think, to... It's a good example of why it's important for us to understand how stories are told and how they work so that we interpret them well, and then we know how to respond to them uh, rightly. This is what we teach in seminary, is how to read stories, really. Um, and it's interesting, most of the time, I mean, by and large, we have Good Samaritan laws, you know, uh, uh, so-and-so rescued a woman, he was a Good Samaritan, um, from a burning car, you know, something like that. So it's part of our cultural lingo. And then within the church, when we when we teach and talk about that story, we always identify with the Samaritan who comes to the aid of the, the beaten man. What's interesting um, in in the actual uh, parable is Jesus is talking to a group of Jewish religious leaders, um, and they ask, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God and love other people. Jesus says, yep, good job, boy." The guy replies, wanting to justify himself, well, but who is my neighbor? So Jesus replies to a Jewish audience and a Jewish man asking about who is my neighbor by telling a story about a man who is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho a Jew. That Jewish man is the one who is beaten up and left for dead on the side of the road. His Jewish religious leaders pass by him, and along comes a Samaritan, a despised, despicable, um, half-breed, someone that, that, that they wouldn't even touch, much less um, uh, interact with on, on sort of an economic level or at all on the level of healthcare. <laughs> um, and yet, this beaten Jewish man has no other option because of his state but to receive help from the Samaritan. Now, if he was conscious, it could be that he actually kicks and screams his way away from him, so he had no option. But it's this really interesting picture. At the very end, um, Jesus says, who became a neighbor to the man? So in response to who is my neighbor, Jesus tells a Jewish audience a Jewish story about a Jewish man. My thought is, we might should be identifying with the man beaten up on the side of the road, not the Samaritan that comes to help. Now, the very end, Jesus says, go and do likewise. So it's appropriate and right that we say, we need to bring our gifts and talents to culture. I need to be a TV writer and bring all that God has given me to help write um, redemptive stories and, and to steer this. But there's also a sense in which I think 
it's appropriate for us to say, what if we actually have some brokenness and needs in our own life as, as the people of God that really we could have some helpful healing touch if we allowed it to happen? If we opened ourselves up and any 12-step program you, you hear, it's step one is admit you have a problem. And I, I think for me anyway, that's where it goes with the churches. We need to admit that we don't have all the answers and we haven't figured out the complexities of culture like we think we have. Um, and often that means assuming that position, identifying with the beaten man, not the savior coming into the rescue. Um, and that has really sort of reshaped kind of how I think about how I relate to culture. And uh, again, maybe heretical, uh, maybe uh, I'm a baby killer or siding with the baby killers. But I think there's something to that. Anyway. No, the baby haters. We're baby hater, that's killer. right. Well, what happens throwers. once the baby gets thrown out? Yeah. Well, I assume yeah. nothing good. But <laughs> I will add, and this is kind of a theme as we talk about, you know, the, the responsibility of the artist that... Um, you can you can present yourself as having if you're going to th- present yourself as having all the answers, you have to be talented enough mm-hmm. to actually present it that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, very few people have that talent. And that's so that's a separate sort of discussion. Yeah. We'll and it's today. a talent that the church needs to learn. We need yeah. to equip ourselves. I will argue too, though, that many people in the culture are presenting themselves as if they have mm-hmm. the answers, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but because they have the talent to do so, they're able to do so. Mm-hmm. But most people in the church who are presenting themselves with the answer, do not have the talent to do so, <laughs> even though I think they do have the answer. So we have to figure out as artists, how do we kind of meld those two things? How to tell our stories better. Right. Really. Yeah. yeah. Great. Well, thank you for joining us this week. We will uh, get at it again next week and uh, we will uh, hit, tackle the wonderful and thorny subject that we uh, started to hit uh, this week. And that is ethics, language, sex, and violence. How much, uh, where, and when. Talk to you next time. You've been listening to a production of Fuller Studio. Fuller Studio provides articles, podcasts, videos, and other resources for a deeply formed spiritual life. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app or visit us at fuller.edu studio.